If you take your copy of scripture and turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we've been talking about an attitude of gratitude. This is the time of year when we do that, right? Uh, we talk about being grateful and we talk about being thankful. And today what we're going to really look at is um, it's kind of hard sometimes for us to define what giving thanks really looks like. And I heard a quote a long time ago, and I don't remember who said it, but I really liked it. It said, the art of thanksgiving is thanks living. The art of thanksgiving is thanks living. And so what we're looking at over the next couple of weeks is how can we live a life that is thankful? How do we live a life that's grateful? It's amazing that we as a nation have been blessed more than any other nation at any other time. I mean, we have anything and everything you can imagine, but there's a problem. The problem is what we find is that most Americans are unhappy they do not like their life. They wish that their life was different. And it's funny, there was a term that was coined by a guy in the early 1970s, uh, Dr. Philip Schlesinger. And here's what he said, that Americans struggle with something called inextinguishable discontent. Now that sounds big, but this is what it means. That as Americans, because we have everything, we feel like we have nothing. Because there's every opportunity for us to get anything we want at any time we want. We don't like anything that we have. And so we constantly live in this state of dissatisfaction and we say, I want more. This isn't enough. This life isn't what I wanted it to be. And so how do we, living in a culture like that, called out as Christians to give thanks? And here's the thing. In the Bible, we are told over 200 times that God wants us to be thankful. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, it is God's will for you to give thanks in everything. And if that is God's will for us to live in thanksgiving and to live that out, how do we do that? How do we do that when it's almost like that we are programmed by the world to be dissatisfied? Well, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 is going to help us see what it looks like to really find a place where we can be grateful and thankful. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So... As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. 
Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Why is it so hard for us to be grateful and thankful? Well, Paul's going to answer that question for us. I mean, fundamentally, we all struggle with this. And if we didn't, well, we wouldn't talk about it every year. We wouldn't make such a big deal about we've got to be grateful and we've got to be thankful. And you ever had that experience where something happens and somebody isn't grateful or thankful the way that you think that they should be? It makes you mad, right? Why, that ungrateful person, they weren't thankful. They didn't even say thank you. Why? Why is it so hard? for us to be grateful and thankful. Well, Paul tells us, and this is why it's so hard for us to, to be the Christians that God wants us to be, to be the people that he saved us to be. Here it is. We are looking in the wrong place and at the wrong person to be grateful and thankful. Look at what he says. Verse one, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not those on the earth. Here's what he's saying. The reason that we struggle with gratitude, the reason we struggle with thankfulness is that we are looking for it in the wrong place. We have set our eyes on the things of the world to make us grateful and thankful. And here's the problem. When we set our eyes down here, we see everybody else. And no matter how much we have, there's somebody who has more. And it's hard to be grateful and it's hard to be thankful when you look and you see someone who has more than you. Because here's what happens. What do we want? We want that. And here's what we tell ourselves. If I just had this, I would be happy. If I just had that, I would be satisfied. If I just could do this, I would be grateful and thankful. And guess what happens when you get that? It's not enough. You want more. We tell ourselves this lie that if we had everything in the world, we would have no problems. And here's the reality. You know what happens when we get everything? Our problems just get bigger. So here's what he says. You've set your mind on the wrong thing in the wrong place. I really don't know when this cliche started. It started at some point in time and, 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 and people have just kind of continued to say it and we don't really think about how ridiculous it is. Have you ever heard the saying that you can be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good? You ever heard somebody say that? What they, what they mean to say is you have your head in the clouds so much you can't figure out what's going on down here. And here's the reality. We as Christians have adopted that. And here's what we say. Why? Well, I don't want to be too freaky. I don't really want to be, you know, too adamant about this stuff. Do you know the people that did the most for this world were the people who had their minds set in heaven and not on the earth? The people who were so heavenly minded they could be of earthly good? See, the problem is what Jesus says is, listen, you got enough of looking down here. I need you to pull your eyes up and look up where I am and see what's going on where I am because that's going to drastically change your worldview. For so many of us, we struggle 
and we feel defeated and we feel broken because we look down here at the earth and we see only what we can do and only how we can solve things and the problems get too big, don't they? You ever just felt like the circumstance and the situation that you're in is just too big for you? Guess what it is? But when Jesus says, lift up your eyes, set your mind on things above where I am seated on my throne at the right hand of the Father. And when we lift up our eyes and we set them there, all of a sudden we're reminded of something. That Jesus has won. Jesus is sitting in victory and in glory and in power on his throne. And all these other things are going to be taken care of. And when we lift our eyes up, then we are reminded of that. And it's funny that when we fix our eyes where he is and are reminded of who he is and what he's done, that our problems begin to shrink. We are reminded that he is on his throne and cancer is not. We are reminded that he's on his throne and financial problems are not. We are reminded that he's on his throne and problems in our marriage are not. We are reminded that there is nothing in this world that is greater than our God. And in fact, he is on his throne. And it's funny, when we lift our eyes off the world and put them in heaven, we actually can start being grateful and thankful for things because we see who he is and we see what he's done in our life. So we're looking for the wrong place and we're also looking at the wrong person. Here's what we do so often. We put our eyes either on ourself and we look inward for all the things that we need to be comfortable and happy and holy and healthy. And so we look on the inside. If I could just get enough self-esteem, if I could just get enough self-sufficiency, if I could just get all of myself together and then we'll be great. Has anybody ever done that? Myself is not together, ever. And when we can't find it in ourselves, what do we do? We start to look out of ourselves, outside of ourselves at other people. We start to say to our spouse or to our kids or to our parents or to our friends or to relationships that I'm gonna put all of my self-sufficiency, I'm gonna put all of my reliance, I'm gonna put all of my hope on you because you complete me, Jerry Maguire, if anybody remembers that. Here's the deal, our spouse, our kids, our parents, our relationships cannot handle the weight of them trying to complete us because they never will. And so we set ourselves up and them up to be frustrated and have terrible relationships because we're constantly saying, I need you to be better and I need you to do more and I need you to complete me. And they're like, I can't. Jesus says, listen, you're looking in the wrong place and you're looking at the wrong person. The only person that can carry the weight of our expectations and our brokenness and our hurt and our pain, the only person that can bring esteem to us is Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus isn't about giving us self-esteem. Jesus is about giving us Christ-esteem. When Christ is the center of our life, all of a sudden we feel better about ourselves and everything else. He said so. Matthew 6, verse 33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Listen, if you're struggling 
with gratefulness and thankfulness. If you're struggling with feeling, you know, jealous and miserable and discontent and dissatisfied, you need to look at yourself and say, maybe I'm looking at the wrong things. Maybe I'm expecting too much of the wrong person. And here's the thing, we need to lift our eyes and look to heaven and let Jesus be the center of who we are. So we've been looking at the wrong place and the wrong person. Now there's also another thing that really uh, kind of strangles out gratefulness and thankfulness in our life. And Paul wants to make us aware of it. Here's what it is. Trying to hold on to your old life. Trying to hold on to your old life when you've been given a new life in Christ, when you've been given a, a new hope and a new vision and a new way to live and you're trying to hold on to these old things. Listen to what he says. Verse five, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Well, why? Why would he consider these things dead? Well, look at verse three. You have died. And your life has been hidden in Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, desire, and greed, which amount to idolatry. It is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now, but now you put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self. Listen, one of the things that strangles gratefulness and thankfulness in our life is trying to hold on to the life that destroyed us in the first place. Trying to pretend that we are not the new creation that Christ has made us. And so we wanna respond in the old way. We wanna be angry and we wanna slander and we wanna gossip and we wanna be greedy and we wanna be lustful. We want all those old things. And here's the problem. The Holy Spirit through Paul is trying to tell these people and trying to tell us you can't have it both ways. You can't have the new life of blessing and the old life of slavery. And fundamentally, the reason we want to go back to that old life is that we don't agree with God how bad that old life was. Even as Christians, we just don't agree. And so we'll say things like this. We don't call sin heinous and evil and awful and atrocious and an abomination. We don't call it that. What do we call it? Mistakes. We call them mistakes. And it was never my intention to hurt and it was never my intention to go this far. And it was, I, I never wanted to see these things happen. I just, you know, I wanted to do what felt good and what felt right at the moment. I mean, really can't be that bad, Right. How often are we told that sin really isn't that bad and it isn't really that serious and we don't really need to, you know, make it a big deal? Well, here's the thing. God made it a big deal. 
When we start understanding and believing what God says about sin, then we understand and can be grateful and thankful what he's done for us. Listen, sin is so terrible that when it came into your life, it didn't just go into one little place of your life, it destroyed everything. It destroys how you think and it destroys what you say. It destroys your relationships. It destroys your relationship with God. It pushed us out of his presence. And then we rebel against him because we got pushed out of his presence. And it filled you full of death. Which one of any of us would line up if somebody said, hey, I got a new product that I would love you to try. It'll let you do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. But the only side effect is that it fills you full of death. Any takers? That's exactly what sin is. But we don't, we don't look at it that way. Listen to how atrocious sin is. Sin is so evil and so heinous and so awful that it took the death of the sinless, perfect, holy God to get you out of it. See, if we really believed what God said about that, we would run from it instead of trying to hold on to it and bring it back. He said, one of the reasons that you're struggling to be the person that God saved you to be, to be the person that is grateful and thankful, to be the person that can be thanks living, is because you're holding on to all this other stuff. You're holding on to the things that will not give you life. You're holding on to the things that will give you death and slavery. Now listen to what Paul says about this. And it sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? Listen. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Getting a little extreme there, bro. Like that's, that's a little tough. Like you're, you're telling me that I need to, you know, like put these things down and make them to be dead. Yeah, that's what he's saying. If you're ever going to live in the freedom that God has given you, you have to consider the things that Jesus died for and conquered as dead and gone. Again, it just shows how little we think of sin. He says, sin needs to be killed in your life and Jesus did it. Why are you trying to resurrect it and keep it with you? Put it to death. Put it to death. Now, he uses another term a couple of times in this. He talks about putting it off. He says, consider verse five, the members of your earthly body is dead. And he says, it's because of those things that the wrath of God comes on people. This is why God has wrath, because we do these things. And then verse eight, listen, but now, but now something has changed. And what has changed in your life is you've set your mind on heavenly things. You've set your mind on Jesus. You've received grace and mercy and forgiveness, and you've been given a new life. And here's the reality. Either the Holy Spirit is right and the scripture is right, or they're wrong. And here's the reality, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. He says, but now, but now, because these things are true, put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, 
Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. He says, put aside all of those things and put on your new life. Put aside all those things and put on your new life. And I love the word change here. One minute he's talking about death and then he's talking about putting something away. He wants us to understand that Jesus has dealt the death blow to our sin. It is dead. You don't have to have it anymore. And now because you live in the victory of Jesus, here's what you get to do. You get to take off all those sinful, dirty habits and thoughts and feelings and expressions like you would change dirty clothes. Do you even think twice when you come home and you are covered in dirt or you've had a long day and you've sweat through your clothes or you just feel dirty? Do you think twice about ripping that stuff off and throwing it away? No. Here's the freedom that God wants you to see and understand because of what Christ has done in you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven, you have been wiped clean, you have been made new, and now you are given the victory to take off anger and take off greed and take off lust and take off lying and throw it away. You don't have to carry it around anymore. but yet we tell ourselves that we're slaves to it. Listen, I have said, and I hear people say all the time, well, this is just who I am. I'm just an angry person. This is just who I am. I can't change the way that I talk. I just have, you know, I just use bad language. It's just who I am. I even had a guy tell me one time that he couldn't stop chasing women other than his wife. It's just who he is. I'm just attracted to all women except my wife. And I'll tell you what I tell all those people and I tell myself, I would agree with you if there was no such person as the Holy Spirit. Listen, God didn't give you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit didn't come to your life to sit down, fold his arms and do nothing. He came into your life to give you new life to get rid of all the old things and give you new life. And here's what he's saying. Why is it hard for us to be thankful and grateful? It's hard because we hang on to our old life and we wear all this dirty clothing that we don't need anymore. And so it's hard to be grateful for what God has done when you don't think God has done anything in your life because you won't let go of the things that he set you free from. He says, put it aside, put it aside. And then listen to what he tells us. Put on the new life that you've been given. Verse 10, put on the new self. Did you realize that you have a new self? Did you realize you have a new identity? He talks about it. He says, listen, you have died. You don't exist anymore. You have a new identity. Christ lives in you. And listen, I, I get that this is difficult to comprehend. It's difficult to process. I struggled with this for a long time. I became a Christian and, and I, I just knew that Christ had forgiven me. I get it. But then, then I just had a problem with my old life. I just didn't think I could get rid of it. I, didn't, I don't, didn't think I could, you know, get away from it. 
And then God calls me into ministry. And honestly, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Let me tell you why. Because every moment of my life, I struggled. I didn't want anybody to know I was a pastor. I was scared when I would get up to preach that somebody from my old life would be in the congregation listening to me preaching. I had recurring nightmares. This is true. I had recurring nightmare. Here was my recurring nightmare. I would be preaching like I am now and somebody would be sitting out there that knew me from my old life and all of a sudden they would pop up and go, you don't know that guy. You don't know him. And they would have this massive amount of paper, like this massive amount of paper. Well, let me tell you everything that he's ever done. Oh, you, you think your pastor's good? Oh, you think this guy on stage is good? Let me, let me tell you. And then they would just begin to go and list everything that I'd ever said and everything that I'd ever done and every action I'd ever taken to hurt someone and to be selfish and self-centered and do all sorts of evil things. And I would wake up in a sweat and I would get physically sick every time I would go in to preach because I was so worried that that was gonna happen. And then I began to read things like this in the Bible that I've been given a new self, that I've been given a new identity. And here's what I say to that. I would welcome anybody from my past life to come up here and tell you anything that I've ever done as long as I could say as soon as they're done, yeah, that guy did all of that and he's gone. He's dead. There's a new person in my life now. His name is Jesus. Yeah, that Michael, he did all of that stuff. He was actually, he was a lot worse than they even do. Let me tell you some things that he did that you don't even know about. But he's dead. The life that I now live, I live in the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is my life. And so here's the thing for you. You have been given a new self. You have been given a new identity and that identity is that of Jesus. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. That's your new identity. Well, it's not enough that he gives us a new identity. He tells us that he gives us a renewed self, a renewed life. Verse 10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of of Jesus. This is, this is the thing that I hammer home and I know you guys get tired of hearing it, but here's what Jesus is doing in you. He has saved you to be just like him. He is working in your life to be just like him. And there will come a day in our life when he splits the skies wide open and we go to meet him in the air and there'll be a moment when we see him face to face and we will look just like him. This is the new identity that you've been given. This is the new life that you have received, that Christ is renewing your life to be what he created you to be and what he saved you for, to look like him, to think like him, to speak like him, to act like him, to walk like him. We get a new self. We get a renewed life. And we get a life filled with Christ. He says, Christ is all and Christ is in all. It's very hard not to be grateful and thankful when Christ is everything in our life. Corey Ten Boom, a wonderful 
missionary and someone who struggled and suffered so much in her life, she said, you will never know that Christ is all you need until he's all you got. So, I love that little word, so, in verse 12. So, what that means is, hey, we got to do something with all these things that we've heard, all this stuff that's true. So, what are you going to do? And here's what Paul says. Here's what you could do. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gifted gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So he says, put on your new life and live in gratitude and thanksgiving. Be the person that God saved you to be. You say, well, what does that look like? Like, I want to be grateful. I want to be thankful, but what does that look like? Remember we said the art of thanksgiving is thanks living. Well, here's, here's what he says. Put on. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Two words that speak to the desperateness of our heart and our soul and our life condition. Two words that, and these two things capture the essence of the gospel and God's goodness. Holy and beloved. He wants us to put on the fact that we are holy. And that's desperately what we want to be. We want to be in right relationship with God. We want him to look at us and see us and, 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 and be happy with us and be pleased with us. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul. God sees you as holy. If you are in Jesus Christ today, if you have trusted him for your faith and salvation, he has forgiven you of all sin. He's cleansed you of all sin. He's made you completely new. And now you stand in God's presence, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. You're holy. But you're also beloved. The one thing that we desperately search for all of our life, that someone would love us. That someone would see past all our insecurities and our quirkiness and the weird things that we say and think and do and say, I, I love you. Listen, the God of the universe, the king of all creation knows you and loves you. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, he also really likes you too. So we get this idea that God can love us, but not necessarily like us. Mm -mm. God loves you fully, totally, completely. God cannot love you any more than he already does. And God will never love you any less than he already does. Do you get that? God loves you to the max all the time. You are loved by God, period. That's your new identity. Put it on, put it on. And when you put it on, all of a sudden, gratefulness and thankfulness can't help but show up in your life. 
put on a heart full of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I, I read that and they just kind of all roll off together. Here's what he's saying. Put on a heart full of the Holy Spirit. Every one of those things is a sign of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Because every one of those things is not natural to who we are. Compassion, kindness, humility. How about that? When we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, really. Humble, patient. One of the greatest gifts of assurance that God gives us is that the Holy Spirit shows up and shows out in our life. That's what he's talking about when he says, put on a heart, let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Because when he comes, it shows up. And when it shows up, it overflows from us to others. You realize kindness has no meaning if there's not another person that you're being kind to. Compassion has no meaning if there's not another person that you are compassionate to. Put it on. Just put on this new life. And again, do you hear the analogy? Put it on. You have the power in Jesus to put on these qualities because you have been given a new identity and a new life and a new power. You've been filled with eternal, abundant, everlasting, overflowing life. And his name is the Holy Spirit. Put it on. <laughs> I've had too many people, when they hear things like that, will just say, well... That's just not my spiritual gift. You're right, it's the Holy Spirit's. And if the Holy Spirit is in your life, he's exercising his spiritual gifts and they should be in your life. Put it on. He tells us this life of gratitude and thanksgiving comes when we bear with one another and we forgive one another. Verse 13 Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive. Words have meaning and power. And for many of us, when we hear bearing with someone, this is what we think. This is how we bear with someone. Oh, they're here again. Okay, I can do this. Give me, give me just a second to grab, you know, I, can, I can work it up, I can do this. Okay, here we go. Oh, really, we're talking about this again? Really? This is, this is what we're gonna, every time this is what you do. <sighs> Jesus, I know that this person is my cross to bear, give me strength. That's not bearing with someone. What he's talking about what the Holy Spirit is prompting us to is the kind of bearing that Jesus did with us. How does Jesus bear with us? Well, he does some things like this. You're never gonna get me out of your life. I'm never gonna walk away. I'm never gonna give up. I'm never gonna give in. You can do whatever you want, but I'm, I'm in this forever. I'm with you forever. I will not give up even if you do. That's what bearing with someone looks like. Now here's the thing. We can never do that without the second part, forgiveness. Now, I wanna share a radical truth with you that you may not know about yourself. It's true about me and it's true about you. 
Here's the radical truth. You are very hard to deal with. And you don't have a great attitude. And you say mean and hurtful things. And you're selfish and self-centered. And you hurt people's feelings and don't really care. And see, here's the thing. For people to really bear with us, forgiveness has to be there. See, we need to understand that when we talk about forgiveness, it's not just forgiveness for other people. It's actually forgiveness for us too. This is relationship stuff here. And so what happens is we pretend that we've never done anything to offend anyone and there should be no reason that anybody would ever need to forgive us. I can see that hit a little close to home. Or here's what we do. We, we don't like forgiveness because we feel like if I forgive, then I can never hold it against you again. And I don't want to stop doing that. If I forgive, I can't be the victim. If I forgive, I can't be angry. If I forgive, then I can't have all these emotions that I enjoy that I get to throw at you all the time. See, here's the thing. We have a bad understanding of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about you. And God says, when you forgive, you set yourself free. So we bear with one another and we forgive one another the way Christ has forgiven us. See, our forgiveness has limits. We want limits on our forgiveness. I'll do it two times or maybe four times, but if they do this, I won't. And if they do it more than what I've said, I won't. And we put all these parameters on there and then we hear something like this. Forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Has Christ put any parameters on the forgiveness that he gives you? Oh, uh, did Christ say that unless you really, 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 really mean it, I'm not gonna forgive you? Unless you jump through all the hoops that I want you to jump through, I'm not gonna forgive you. Unless you pay your pound of flesh to me because you hurt me and when I think that you've hurt enough, then I'll forgive you. Did, did he do that? No. And here's the last little line that we like to skip over. Forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. So should you do this. See, here's the secret of forgiveness. One is we recognize that when we forgive others, we're forgiving them of way less than what Christ has forgiven us for. It doesn't matter what they've done. When we forgive, we are forgiving them way less than what Christ has forgiven us for. Ray Pritchard in a book called In the Shadow of the Cross, he talks about forgiveness and I really love this. It's transformed the way I look at it. Here's one of the things that he says. It is easy to forgive the unforgivable in others when you realize that Christ has forgiven the unforgivable in you. Now you may say, well, that's all well and good, but you don't know what they've done and you know how deeply they've hurt me. I just, I can't do this. You're right, I don't, but Jesus does. And that same chapter on forgiveness, he uses this word from the cross where Jesus hanging on the cross, looks down at the people and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now here's the rub. They knew exactly what they were doing. They wanted to kill Jesus. 
And they wanted it to hurt. They wanted to make it public and they wanted him to suffer. And so the crucifixion was exactly what they wanted. They knew exactly what they were doing when they walked past him and they spat on him and they cursed at him and they mocked him. Oh, come on down. Oh, save yourself. They knew exactly what they were doing. But here's what Jesus says. Even though it was their intention to do what they were doing, they will never understand how fully and deeply they had hurt him and how fully and deeply they had committed a sin. And here's the reality. Pritchard takes that and this is what he says. When we ask for forgiveness for others and we say, Father, they don't know what they're doing. We come to a realization that the person in our life who has hurt us so deeply and so badly will never understand how deep that goes, even if you explained it to them because they didn't experience it. And so to withhold forgiveness until they get it means they will never have forgiveness. And here's the thing that Jesus is saying. Forgiveness is what they need and you're the only one that can give it to them. Put on love. This is where you're bonded by love. I like that. You know, there's other things you can be bonded by. You can be bonded by trauma or circumstances. You could be in the same circumstance and experiencing the same thing. You kind of create a bond and it seems really strong and powerful till the circumstances change, right? Or trauma. I mean, people who have, have been through trauma create bonds. Here's what he says. The strongest bond that we can create is the bond of love. Why? Because the bond of love is a choice. It's a choice that we make and it's a choice that we keep making. I love when couples come for marriage counseling and one, if not both, will say something like this. Listen, I don't really know what you can do for us. We've fallen out of love. And I say, well, you're in luck. You can fall right back in. You made choices to fall out of love. You can make choices to fall back into love. Well, I just don't feel the feelings anymore. The spark is gone. Isn't it funny when you start making a choice to love that feelings come back and the spark comes back? Put on love. You've been given a choice. Here's your choice. Are you going to love? How does this happen? I mean, this seems so good. <laughs> Almost too good to be true. How does this happen? Well, look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Hmm, there it is. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and be thankful. Do you have peace in your heart? Do you have peace in your life? As you're trying to think about it, here's what you need to hear. If you have the Holy Spirit, you do. In John 14, 26 and 27, Jesus talks about giving us the comforter, a friend, someone to walk alongside with us, someone to comfort us and encourage us. And then he says this beautiful line in John 14, 27, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, do I give. Let not your heart be troubled and don't let it be afraid. Here's what he's saying. 
The Holy Spirit is his peace. And he gives us all of the Holy Spirit. So we have all of his peace right now. For many of us, the definition of peace is the absence of trouble when it really is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. He says, but let the peace of Christ fill you up and be thankful. What do you have to be thankful for? Here's what you have to be thankful for. Be thankful that you are at peace with God forever. Forever. There is no punishment waiting for you. There is no broken fellowship waiting for you. There's no debt that you're gonna get to heaven and God's gonna say, hey, we got a bill here. We got to talk about there is nothing but peace. You are at peace with God forever. And because of that, Jesus calls us peacemakers. And it is our responsibility to take the peace that we have with God and share that peace with people who are far from God. Is there anybody in your life that you're not at peace with? If you are, the way to be grateful and to be thankful and to be joyful is to stand in the peace that God has given you and allow that peace to flow through you to them. It's time to make peace. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. You let the word of Christ richly dwell in you and it produces thankfulness. The old hymn really is right. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. When we come to God's word, we are told a million things. But mostly what we're told is the blessings of who God is and what he's done. And here it is. You have a God who knows who you are because he created you. He knows everything about you and he still loves you anyway. We have a God who made this entire universe for us to be in relationship to him. And God has been speaking to us and calling us and working in our life. God has done everything that needs to be done for us to be with him. In fact, he showed up in person to demonstrate his love for you and for me. And in that love, he conquered our sin. In that love, he made us new. In that love, he gave us life. In that love, he's prepared a place where we can be with him forever. And that doesn't scratch the surface of what God has done. If you're struggling with gratefulness and thankfulness, you need to get a little bit more into the word. Because when you read on every page of the word who God is and what he's done, you can't help but be grateful and thankful. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let your life be an offering of thanksgiving to God's work in your life. What would happen if we put into practice what he says here? Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. 
radically change things, wouldn't it? If we thought before every word that came out of our mouth, am I saying this in the name of Jesus? Am I saying this for the glory of God? Every action, am I doing this in the name of Jesus? Am I doing this for the glory of God? Here's the thing. It says that when we do these things, it gives thanks to God through Jesus. And here's the reality. Here's what we're facing today that I want you to see. Truly giving thanks to God is not just saying it, not just singing it, but it's this stuff showing up in your life. You really want to give thanks to God? The best way to do that is to take his word today and let it be real when you walk out of this place. Let it make, make, let it, make it past lunch. The art of thanksgiving is thanks living. And you have the opportunity to do that because you've been given a new life in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And we ask right now that you would help us to say yes. To say yes to the work that you want to do in our life. To say yes to the things that you want to change in our life. To say yes to the things that you want us to set us free of in our life. And may we respond to that today. God, give us the strength and the grace to hear your call and answer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.